Sue Brooks with the Learn by Doing podcast. We're about to hear a teaching that was recently recorded during one of our Oaks Leadership Lunch Sessions. Oaks Leadership Lunch Sessions are a weekly event that the Oaks School of Leadership hosts for both our students and the Oaks Church staff. We provide lunch for attendees. We have an on-site or off-site guest come to speak on leadership and ministry, whether that be in the church or in the marketplace. And we provide an opportunity for Q&R at the end of each session. The question and response time is a great way for the students and staff to ask questions and interact with our speakers. So we're about to hear from Pastors Peter and Mildred De Jesus, who spoke at our first leadership lunch of the fall 2019 semester. The title of the message is Proceeding from Purpose to Power. They talk about an experience they had from August 2008 to April 2010 when Peter entered a season of depression just after taking on an incredible ministry opportunity. Following that, Mildred entered her own season of depression, but by the grace of God, they overcame, and it is in this talk that you're about to hear that they share the details of that story from beginning until now. This is something that many, if not most, or all, ministers, and let's just be honest, most are all humans, go through. And the lessons and encouragement in this message are priceless. One of my favorite take-home messages from pastors Peter and Mildred is this, if all you have is purpose, but you don't have power, then you're missing something. We love purpose. We love power. What we don't love is process. How true this is. So with this in mind, here are pastors Peter and Mildred De Jesus. My name is Mildred De Jesus, and as you can tell by my accent, English is my second language, because I was born in the beautiful island of Puerto Rico. And my other son, it's around here, Ken, over there, he calls me mama only because he likes my food. And so, <laughs> but I love, love him, you, he's my son. He's my son, I adopted him. And so um, I, you know, if you like my food and you compliment me every time you see me, then you're gonna automatically be adopted because I like you and every time I have a down day, I know who to go to to feel better about myself. <laughs> And so real quickly, because I am a talker and I love to talk, and if Gabriela didn't tell you that, I do love to talk. And so Spanish is my first language. I moved to the United States from Puerto Rico when I was in eighth grade. And so the way I learned English was the way you get filled with the spirit and speak in tongues. I just looked at myself in the mirror and I started talking gibberish. I didn't understand what I was saying, but I thought it sounded kind of cool. And that's how I started speaking English. So I, I, just, I just had to do it. There you go. So for me, English was like speaking in tongues. So, and so, but I, even though I didn't get saved until I was in college, I was 19 years old when a young lady spoke to me about Jesus. I told her I didn't want to hear about Jesus, but she didn't talk to me about Jesus after I told her to stop. She just showed me Jesus. Mm. And so Amen. she invited me to a small group. Small groups are very, very important because yes. that's what opened the door for me to go to church, and that's what opened the door for me to get saved. Mm -hmm. And so she never invited me to church because I didn't want her to invite me to church. So she just invited me to a small group, and I told her, if I go there, you will never invite me to church again, right? And she's like, yes, but, you know, God had other plans because I enjoyed myself so much at that small group, and there's nothing like movies, games, pizza, and chicken wings to get into a girl's heart. <laughs> So if you want to get into any girl's heart, make sure you do games, pizza, wings, and a movie, and you're good and to go. And what about cute guys? Well, you know, they're easy. So. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Let's pray, man. And so, you know, it was that day that caused me. She never invited me to church because she didn't have to. I would call her and tell her to pick me up to go to church. And so it, it was a couple of visits to a Pentecostal church, which I never visited because my background is Jehovah Witness and Catholic. And then I was agnostic when I was in high school. Um, that caused me to get scared and excited about being in a Pentecostal church with a youth group that was a group uh, uh, that was on fire for the Lord and spoke in tongues. And the only tongues I ever knew was trying to speak English. And so I was really, really scared, but really, really excited about my new journey. And so from 19 years old to now I'm 45, I've never looked back in serving the Lord. And I can say my age because I know I look a little bit good for my age. A lot good. Not a little bit. A <laughs> lot good. Awesome. And uh, I like to tell people that, of course, her being born in Puerto Rico, her looking Latina, I obviously do not. 
However, my parents were born in Puerto Rico as well. I was born in Rochester, New York, so you'll have to have some mercy on me. And uh, But between her and my parents, they qualify me to be a real Puerto Rican, or as we would say, a Boricua, or as we would say, a Taino. And you're like, are you speaking in tongues? No, those are just uh, indigenous terms for... Uh, the natives that lived in the island of Puerto Rico before it was ever Puerto Rico. It was uh, El Borinquen. And uh, all of the natives in the Caribbean were called Tainos. And then the Spaniards came, conquered the island, and uh, it became called, it was called Puerto Rico, and then thus Puerto Ricans. Anyhow, enough history of the history. Lesson. There you go. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, we want to maximize every minute that we have with you, and we are so honored privilege uh, to be here with you all this morning. In fact, this morning as uh, we were en route over here, I sent a quick text to Pastor Scott and to Pastor Mark, who are my dear, dear, dear brothers, dear, dear friends. I, I met them back in the 90s. I can literally say last century, technically, right? And um, we, uh, we love uh, the Wilson family, we love uh, uh, our dear former senior pastor, Pastor Emeritus, who is now in glory, Dr. Tom Wilson, uh, who was so instrumental in our lives in a very important season of our lives. We love, as we like to call her, Pastora Brenda, and of course we love Jenny and Melanie and just the whole uh, pastoral team of the Oaks Church, who we from time to time still refer to as Oaks Fellowship, and then sometimes we refer to it as the Oaks uh, Assemb Oak Cliff Assembly of God. You say, like, why do you know all those names? Because we kind of go way, way, way back to being connected to the Oaks Church when we were graced by your leadership of your church to be the Oak Cliff campus pastors there in Oak Cliff. And so we were able to serve on staff there from 2001 through uh, May of 2007 before we relocated down to San Antonio, Texas. So we love your pastors. We love this amazing church family. And this is our second church family. We'll tell you a little bit that about that in a, in a couple minutes. But uh, we, we thank the Lord for you all. And with that in mind, can we just put our hands together for your pastors, for Pastor Brian, for Pastor Sue, for your leadership. You guys are awesome. You guys are amazing. And uh, we were just bragging uh, about you guys last night to a group of young adults that swang by our house uh, with our son David uh, to have some Puerto Rican grub. And then we got our, our praise and worship on there in our living room. But we told them, if you don't have a home church, you need to go check out the Oaks Church. Uh, we, we love you guys. Um, we're blessed to be here at the Oaks Church. We give you greetings. Obviously, our daughter Gabriella is here. Um, our daughter Samantha uh, is at Sagu. Uh, with our son as well, David. Uh, she's a junior. He's a freshman. Uh, she's a, cou a counseling major. Is that right? Yes. And he is a business, a sports business major. And Gabriella is an English major. So we're so proud of our children. Can't you tell? Um, we greet you on behalf of our pastors back home, Dr. John and Diana Hagee, Pastor Matt and Kendall Hagee of Cornerstone Church. Anybody familiar with Cornerstone Church in San Antonio, Texas? A few of you. It's a small church. They run about 20,000. And uh, small global ministry. They <laughs> preach the gospel to all the nations of the world. And, uh, you know, they, they write a few books, maybe 40-plus bestsellers and what have you. Anyhow, we, we love them. We're, we're tech, I'm technically an ordained minister of Cornerstone Church as a local church. And then I'm really blessed to be able to say I have dual credentials also with the Assemblies of God in the great North Texas district. So receive greetings on behalf of them. We, in addition to our own evangelistic ministry, work with an organization called Christians United for Israel. And if you don't know anything about that, I encourage you to look it up. Just go to cufi.org and check it out. What we want to speak with you about this morning, I'll give you my title, it's up here, is something called From Purpose to power, undergoing the process to be an overcomer in life and leadership. And that might sound a bit overly academic, but we're going to get to the juicy part first, and then we'll get to the other part. Is that all right? The question um, that, that we, and I'm going to jump the gun and then come back on purpose. The reason why I'm, I'm sharing this with you, the why to this message, okay? Number one, many leaders 
want to go immediately from their divine purpose to God's demonstrated power without understanding the defining process they must undergo in order to overcome in life and overflow with life. It's a mouthful. Don't worry. You're going to get the notes. All right. Number two, many leaders start off well in their Christianity, but after struggling in life, family, and even ministry, they feel like quitting. I'm going to pause here because we know this is fresh this week, and it is so our hearts go out to Jared Wilson's family. How many of you have come across the posts, the articles? Um, at the age of 30, he decides the best way out of life is to take his life, and he commits suicide. And now he's survived by his wife, by his family, by his church family, by his congregation, by friends in the faith, by brothers and sisters in Christ who have just been devastated by what devastated his life, his marriage, his family, his ministry. And, and the reality is that any human being, and I would dare say even every human being, faces, for some maybe it just may be a moment, for others it may be a minute, for others it's an hour, maybe a day, a week, a month, a year, or even longer, of battling with fears, with doubts, with disbeliefs that eventually result in a sense of inner shame, confusion, even to the point of depression. And no one is exempt. No one. No one. Starting with this guy right up here. The reason why I'm mentioning this is because the third reason we're sharing this with is because of my own personal experience of both of these experiences that I mentioned in point one and two over the course of 22 years of ministry and how God has helped me get through it and move forward with this particular revelation that we're going to share with you. But before we get into that, let me just share a little bit of the testimony behind this message. I was born and raised in a Christian home, Pentecostal at that. At the age of two, when I was two, my parents were already pastors. So I know what it is to, to do church and not necessarily be the church or to do Christianity and not necessarily be a Christian. But fast forwarding to the age of 17 is when I really had an encounter, an epiphany with Jesus Christ in a worship concert in San Antonio, Texas, where I knew without a shadow of a doubt God called me, God gifted me, God's hand was on me, and he would use me by his grace and for his glory to preach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to my generation and beyond, in my nation and beyond. And in that time, there were three ministers that really caught my attention at the time that I would either watch Christian television or listen to Christian radio. Anybody know anything about Christian radio? <laughs> You're like, is that XM or is that satellite radio? Or like, no, AM, not the morning time, AM, you know, radio. And um, there were three guys. So one of them was John Osteen, Joel Osteen's dad. The man of God was like a walking Bible. Everywhere uh, he stepped on his platform, it was like he was quoting a scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture. And every time he shared a point, he prefaced it with the scripture, and then he culminated it with the scripture. And I was like mesmerized by how he just absorbed so much of the word of God. Of course, I was so naive at that time, I didn't know they had teleprompters. So he was probably reading as well. But for me, it just impacted me, and I was like, wow, the guy knows the word of the Lord. Second guy was Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn, why? Before we start being judgmental. Uh, Benny Hinn, because he was a person given to the importance of knowing the person of the Holy Spirit and the desire to know the presence of God, the glory of God, the anointing of God, and the, then to be able to be used by God, by his grace, for his glory, to operate in the supernatural, miracles, signs, and wonders. We still believe in that, right? Amen. That's what Jesus taught us. These signs and wonders will follow after you. Mark chapter 16. But then there was a guy named Pastor John Hagee. And Pastor John Hagee, for me, was like very distinct because he knew the word of God, believed in the power of the Holy Spirit. But it sounded like he knew all of world history. He knew all of current affairs of what was going on in world events. And he could predict or maybe even prophesy what was going to come in the days and the weeks and the months and the years and decades to come and I thought Lord if I could just have a portion of the mantle of any of these three guys or all of these three guys and put them into a Puerto Rican white body hallelujah that preaches like he's a black man a madman in his right mind glory to God that would be me amen that's okay you can laugh out of courtesy 17 years of age 
Fast forward 17 years later, after having been graced to serve here on staff, uh, there at the Oaks uh, Fellowship Oak Cliff Campus, and then transitioning down to San Antonio due to some deaths in our family due to cancer, our niece passing away at the age of 10, our, my oldest brother passing away at the age of 39, both due to cancer within 12 days of each other, April 1st, April 13th, 2006. Long story short, we relocated in 2007. Then in 2008, after being on staff at one of the churches in the South Texas district, I get an invitation. 17 years later, after the age of 17, and I get a personal invitation by Pastor John Hagee and Pastor Matthew Hagee, his son, to come on staff and be their high school youth pastor, then become their young adults pastor, then become one of their bilingual pastoral counselors, and now I get to work with, for them with Christians United for Israel. And I got on the team. And what I thought, this was the dream come true. Anybody ever been in that moment where you're like, my dream has, come, has just come true? Whether a door opened up you weren't expecting or maybe, you know, uh, a staff opportunity has presented itself or whatever it may be. You're like, yeah, this is the dream come true. What ends up happening is shortly after coming on staff, August of 2008, I then enter into an 18-month season of Deep, dark depression. I mean, I was like, Lord, why couldn't this have happened earlier on in my life? When I was at a smaller church or a smaller ministry, why couldn't this have happened earlier on in my life when there wasn't so much expectation on me or so much spotlight on what we were going to do in ministry? Why couldn't this have happened in another season? And prior to that, by God's grace and for his glory, we experienced about 11 years of, to a certain extent, some, some successful ministry. Maybe not as successful as we wanted it to be, but it was successful nonetheless. And then we get to, you know, the dream opportunity on a mega church stage, and all of a sudden, I find myself downward spiraling into a season of major fear, of major doubt, of major disbelief, then of major depression. So much so that I began to lose my appetite to eat. And trust me, ask my wife, I love to eat. So much so that then I couldn't even sleep and ask my wife, I love to sleep. She says that when we sleep, um, someone starts making this noise, snoring, I think is what she calls it. I don't hear a thing. I know it's me. I love to sleep. That season, I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. Started dropping weight. And then not only that, dropping confidence. Confidence in who I believe God to be in my life, confidence in who I believe to be in God's life and in his kingdom, to the point of then having these weird physical sensations in my body. I later found out from my doctors and then later found out from reading books on, on clinical depression that it was a result. It were symptoms of when you're in high uh, levels of stress to the point where it starts affecting you neurologically and it starts affecting even your body. And I would have this on my limbs, on certain parts of my body, even on my back of my head, uh, on my forehead. There was even one night where I woke up Mildred at about one or two in the morning telling her, I think I'm having a heart attack because part of my body went numb. And I think, how many thank God for praying people? How many thank God for a praying spouse? And how many thank God for praying ministers? Amen. She's a praying person. She's a praying spouse. She's a praying minister. And I thank God that in that moment, she said, no, we're going to pray first. She laid hands on me. She prayed not only in English or in Spanish. She prayed in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. How many believe in, in pre-3 praying? Come on. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, yeah. And so she said she did some of that P3 on me that night, uh, that morning. And uh, I said, okay, I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not going to go to the hospital just yet. But when I eventually went to the doctor, began to share with him everything I was going through. Mean, meanwhile, mind you, we're youth pastors at a mega church. We're going to meetings where Dr. Hagee and Pastor Matthew Hagee are the ones that are running the meeting. We're going, uh, you know, to, to a, a church where there's great expectation. We're going, we're part of a ministry where it, it, the light is on you regardless of whether you like it or not. People are looking at you. They're observing you. Some of them are complimenting you. Others are crit criticizing you and others are critiquing you. And I said, oh, Lord, what in the world? is this to the point where I said, you know what? I'm just not cut out for this. I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. I'm going to resign from this position nine months into it and said, I'm, I'm just going to quit. I'm going to resign. 
And I remember on the weekend I was going to resign, it was Mother's Day weekend. I had a meeting already set with Pastor Matthew Hagee on Monday, the, the day after Mother's Day in uh, 2009, this was now. And as I was there uh, getting good and ready to go to that meeting, my wife, she just, again, P3'd me. She prayed over me. She prophesied over me. She proclaimed God's promises over my life. And I said, all right, but I'm going to do the next best thing. If I can't resign, I'm going to be completely vulnerable completely transparent I'm going to give the Hagees a good reason to transition me out and when I was vulnerable when I was transparent when I did everything I could to give them an easy reason for them to transition me out they loved on me they encouraged me they coached me they lifted me up they put me in 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 contact with even a professional Christian counselor uh, you know, your pastor speaks about that being very important. And he learned that from Dr. Tom Wilson. And that's where we learned it, too. We remember when uh, there was a, a wonderful Christian counselor who's also with the Lord now, Bryant DeBoard, who would provide counseling uh, to all the staff. And rather than it being reactionary, it was preventive. It was proactive. Oh, and it helped us so much personally helped us uh, in our marriage it helped us in family it helped us in ministry and so uh, the, the Hagees connected me to someone but that was at about the nine months point there was still another nine months to go and it was so dark that I will confess this although I never had suicidal thoughts or tendencies how many remember the amazing fire provoking heaven opening prophet named Elijah amazing man I mean, Moses is probably, arguably, the greatest Old Testament prophet. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. But when it comes to Elijah, I mean, that was like the guy. He called down fire. He overcame 450 false prophets. Uh, and, 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 and he declared when it would not rain. And then he declared when it would rain. And, and this man was a, was, was a man of God. He was Holy Ghost and fire. And at the same time, if you read the narrative of 1 Kings chapter 18 going into 19, when Jezebel finds out what he did, then she puts out word, a bounty on his head. I'm going after you. And then he gets fearful. He gets doubtful. He gets full of disbelief. And then he tells his own servant, you stay here. I'm going to isolate myself. And then he goes out and he does his own thing. And he goes to a cave. And if you remember the narrative of Elijah, he says, I just want to die. It wasn't that he wanted to commit suicide necessarily as much as it was just let me go to sleep and not wake up here on earth. Let me go to sleep and let me wake up there in heaven. And that's the point that I had reached. You can ask my wife. I wrapped, I racked up as much life insurance as I could. I think at the time I had about a half a million dollars of life insurance. I had a plan. My plan was I'm not going to commit suicide, but I'm so depressed. I don't want to live. My wife, my kids would be better off without me. My family would be better off without me. The world would be better off without me. Let me just die, please, but God. But God, and I'm going to hand it over to my lovely bride and uh, let her just kind of share from her perspective what was happening. And then we'll jump in. This is what was happening. Yeah. <laughs> when he didn't sleep, I didn't sleep. I don't sleep now. That's why I have to tell him to go sleep in David's room <laughs> so I can sleep now. And uh, but I love him. <laughs> I love you, too. But during that time, there was times where I would get upset because I would say, you're supposed to be the spiritual head of this home. Why are you going through that? You're living the dream. You're pastoring at a mega church. What's up with you? Just shake it off. Let it go. But I said that in private. I didn't want to say that in front of him. So when he would come to me, i just pray for him. And that time when he felt like he was, I am not even, Holy Spirit didn't really show the reality of what was going on. I really didn't want to get up. I was tired. So I'm like, dude, you ain't having a heart. I'm done with it. I'm praying for you. You're not going to have a heart attack. I am, I am not going to the emergency room at 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> She's Shake. a woman of great faith. <laughs> it's like, Holy Spirit, heal that man's heart. <laughs> and so um, as he was going, I felt like I had to lead the home spiritually, and I've not ever done that in all of our years of marriage. And we have three little kids, and I'm working with him because he's pastoring. I'm, we've we're like white on rice. Wherever you see Peter, you see Mildred. We're Amen. like together, yes. connected at the hip, you know. And so I worked with him. I was his administrator. I don't call myself a secretary. I was uh, more than a secretary. Yes, you were. 
greater I was, than the secretary. I was really the pastor to the pastor. That's what wives are. Amen. The, the wives are the, the minister to the minister, the pastor to the pastor. That's why it's important for you to pray for Pastora Jenny, um, because she's the minister to Pastor Scott. And Pastora Sue. Because what you Amen. guys don't see, they see at home. And y'all yeah. need to be praying for both of them together because they're one. Yes. And so. Praise okay, the Lord. Yes, praise God for that. That was my two cents in there. That's <laughs> a woman in ministry. And so while he was going through that, um, what a lot of people didn't know is that I was going through my own mm. depression. Because I was seeing him and I didn't, I'm a fixer. Something's broken. Something needs to be cleaned. Let me fix it. Let me do it. I can fix it. I couldn't fix this. Mm. I couldn't pray it out of him. I wanted to. I wanted to shake him and shake him, and then everything falls out. But that that wasn't happening. Mm. And this was just at the eight months mark. And so he's not even sharing with you another eight months that we went through this. And in, no. in that time, I have. I, I'm working full time. I'm doing full time ministry. I'm okay. a full time mom. Mm -hmm. And that are in full-time school. Yeah. I have to full-time cook, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, mm -hmm. you know. And so there's a lot of full-times on my plate. And so when he finished this depression, what happens is because I had to be so strong that I didn't realize that when he was done with his, I entered mine as his wife. And so when he finished uh, not quitting, then I think I quit every day after that. I would go in, into his office because, you know, he was my pastor, my boss, my husband. And I would give him my resignation letter and he would just rip it. And I was like, no, I want to quit. I'm done with this. I'm done with these kids <laughs> that don't listen. And I'm don't done. Don't take it personally. Don't take it personally. He's not talking about you. It was, it was those in San It was Antonio. youth. I'd rather do young adult <laughs> than youth ministry any day of the week. I'm done with their parents. I listen less. <laughs> and so it, it was, it was a, a, a time of not just depression, but it was a really a time of mm -hmm. learning how to depend on God a yeah. lot, uh, learning how to depend on our leaders and, and being vulnerable with our leaders yeah. and sharing the truth. I remember being in staff meetings, and I told them, listen, you think I'm just an administrator, but you don't know what I'm going through. And even though he didn't think about suicide, I did. I looked at a pill bottle and I said, if I just take this pill bottle, I make sure that nobody's home so that nobody can come to my rescue and I don't have to deal with this anymore. Because they look at Peter as the pastor and I'm talking to you about a pastor's wife. So I can't even imagine my heart goes out to this pastor's wife who's grieving, who went through what she went through and they forget about what she's going through. How, was she, how she's dealing with it and how she has to be strong for her kids. And then when he goes through that, then I have to deal with mine. And even though he didn't think about suicide, I did. And I thank God that I didn't go through with it. And I thank God that I'm here to share that with you and tell yeah. you, you know what? Life with Christ is greater than anything you can go through. And you just need to grab a hold of him. Amen. How many can say amen to that? Can you put your hands together? Give God praise. Amen. There's more to the story, even my attempt three times to try to get on meds. And interestingly enough, every time I went to go ahead and get that prescription filled, the uh, pharmacy would say, your particular insurance company does not cover that particular medication. So then I'd say, okay, well, how much is it? They said for about two months supply, $600. I said, I don't got that money. I guess I'm gonna have to stay depressed for now. <laughs> But here's what the Lord, here's what the Lord did. He says, Peter, you're going through a process. You're going through a process. And he told me, you get to choose whether you're going to be like Elijah or whether you're going to be like Peter. And he used those two individuals in the Bible because both of them went through some serious stuff in certain seasons of their lives. The first one, Elijah like I already referenced, 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19, great victory, but then he's in the valley, he's in a cave, he's hiding, I want to die. And he's told the Lord, I'm the only one, Lord. And the Lord told him, there are 7,000 others who have not bowed their knee to bow. It was God's way of saying, look, you're not the only one going through this. But if you're going to go through this, you have to connect, you have to unite, you have to be part of a community that will help you. And then when you look at Peter, it's interesting because Peter is the one that denies Jesus three times. Biblically speaking, there is no evidence that Peter is even at Calvary when Jesus gets crucified. 
In fact, in one of the narratives of the gospel, Jesus, when he resurrects, tells the Marys, go tell my disciples and Peter singles them out that I've resurrected. And then when Peter in John 21 runs with John to go see if if the tomb really is empty and he gets there, he looks at it. He's in amazement, but one has to wonder, is he really excited or is he scurred out of his mind? Because the guy who told him, you're going to be no longer Simon. You're going to be called Cephas or Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he gets this great epiphany of who Jesus Christ is as the living son of God. And he gets this great calling. And he gets this great gifting. And he gets this great purpose of how God's going to use him to do great and mighty things and the next moment when Jesus talks about his crucifixion Peter's the first one to say oh no you can't do that and Jesus has to rebuke him and say get thee behind me Satan for you do not have in mind the things of my father and of course Jesus wasn't calling Peter Satan but what he was addressing was the influence that was trying to cause Peter to think differently of what God was thinking and then this same Peter ends up putting his foot in his mouth we know his narrative right several times especially when he denies Jesus three different times and on the third account Luke says that when he denied Jesus Jesus looks at him did you imagine what went through Peter's mind when he looks at Jesus from a distance after denying him and it's the guy who said you're going to be Peter you're going to help me build my church you're going to have the keys of the kingdom you're going to do great and mighty things you're, 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 my, you're my guy, but then you've denied me. You've denied me. You've denied me. And then Peter's not even there at the crucifixion. And then in John 21, there's six disciples around him, and he tells them, I'm going fishing, and he never invites them. I'm going fishing. Sounds familiar. Elijah tells his servant, stay here. And do you remember when Jesus said, hey, if you cause one of these little children to sin, it would be better for you to tie a millstone around your neck and be cast into the sea. Question for you, where do people go fishing in Bible times? In the sea. We don't know, but it's very possible that Peter was having an ultra-depressive moment to the point of just saying, look, guys, I failed him. I denied him. I turned my back on him. I wasn't even there at the cross. I don't even know what he thinks about me because he resurrected, but... I wasn't there, and I was trying to tell him he shouldn't die, he shouldn't be buried, and he shouldn't be resurrected because that wouldn't make sense for my human mind. And now here I am. I'm going to go fishing. Could it be that his thought was, if I can just isolate myself from a community of believers, then I can get to the place where I can take matters into my own hands, tie a millstone around my neck, and it's bad enough if you offend one of these little children, but what if you have completely denied the child of God? The son of God himself, Jesus Christ. But I love what the six disciples say. We are going with you. It's in the context of community that Peter receives restoration. Because when he goes fishing, then he gets a mirac miraculous catch. They notice Jesus is on the shore. Jesus calls him over. Peter realizes because John had a revelation, it's Jesus. He goes ahead. He dresses himself. He jumps into the water. He goes to Jesus, and then he gets restored, but it took a process. So we're talking about going from purpose to power, undergoing the process to be an overcomer in life and leadership. And I know that I've mentioned a whole lot about the context of community. In addition to that, let me just remind us what the scriptures say. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 19. Mildred uh, is going to read it for us. I already gave reference to it, but because I'm one of those preachers that actually likes to read the scriptures and not just refer to them. Mildred, go ahead and let's read. It says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I am? The Son of Man, the Son of Man am. So they said, Come say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But what do you say that I am? 
Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven, who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. How many are familiar with this passage of scripture? It's powerful. And by the way, I don't have time to get into it. But let me just reference Matthew chapter 17. When Jesus does the miracle of uh, telling Peter to cast his first line into the water and the first fish, fish you catch is going to have a drachma coin in it. Go pay taxes for you and for me. The reason why was because in the Old Testament scriptures, the only people who had to pay taxes were, were the people age 20 and up. Jesus starts his ministry at age 30. This is a revelation in our insight that Peter was between the age of 20 and 30. Do we have any 20-year-olds here? Sometimes we watch these Bible movies, and they depict the apostles in their later years. But friends, the Peter and the disciples that Jesus used to revolutionize the world, starting with Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, they were youth and young adults. Because the other disciples, Jesus didn't have to pay taxes for because they were under the age of 20. Oh, come on, somebody. I don't know about you, but that stirs me up because we're here with the next generation that I like to really call the generation now. You're the generation that God is going to use. You're the modern-day Peters. You're the modern-day disciples that God is sending forth, and not to glorify any titles, but to make sure that we go forth. Apostle simply means a sent one, and that's why you're here at OSL because God is preparing you to be sent forth, whether you're going to be sent forth locally and do ministry here at this wonderful great church or you're going to be sent forth and do ministry at another church in this region or in this state or in this nation or even another nation of the world, you are the modern-day Peters. You're the modern-day for the ladies, Petras. <laughs> I know it's not a beautiful name, but it's cool. You're the ones. So here's the thing. When we fast forward from Peter's life in Matthew 16 to Peter's life in Acts chapter 3, look at what happens after the crucifixion, after the burial, after the resurrection, after Peter's restoration, after the day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls get saved. But now Acts chapter 3, check it out. It says, now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who seen Peter and John to, about to go into the temple, asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them this, he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankles bones uh, received strength. So he, he, so he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who said, begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. How many are familiar with this passage of scripture? Amen. How many of you would like to see yourself operate in this type of supernatural power? Amen. Hallelujah. I mean, this is, this is, this is you know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter um, Four, verse 20, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power, power. And unfortunately, we're not seeing power in the church these days like we read about the power in the church in these scriptures. But we know that these signs and wonders shall follow after you. That's the word of Jesus Christ. And they'll confirm the very word. God wants to show his power to confirm his word because of the purpose that he has in your life. So why these two passages of scripture? Because they show us in Matthew chapter 16 what I like to call purpose. By definition, the word purpose, really, you can break it down in three aspects. It's one, the reason for one's existence, the result one aims for, and the call of God on our lives. It is the reason. It is the result. It is the call of God on our lives. If you want another R for those that love alliteration, it is the resolve. 
When you have purpose, you have a reason for living. When you have purpose, you have a result you're looking for, you're, you're shooting for. And when you have purpose, you have a resolve. You have something in you, and we know it more than something. It is the Spirit of the Lord in us. It is the Word of God in us that allows us to get through whatever we got to get through to get to what God promised to us. Can somebody say amen? But in Acts chapter 3, we go beyond purpose. Purpose is important. Don't get me wrong. Purpose is huge. It is foundational. But if all we have is purpose, but we don't have power, we're missing something. It's like a, it's like a puzzle. Anybody seen a puzzle? It's got multiple pieces, right? But if all you have is one piece, what do you call that? A puzzle piece. How many know that if you just focus on the one puzzle piece, it's a bit puzzling? Come on, somebody. You can laugh. You can bless the Lord. You can say, wow, I'm going to tweet that. Just kidding. But if you take a puzzle piece and unite it with another puzzle piece, the more puzzle pieces you get together, you go from puzzle piece to masterpiece. But better than that is the master's piece. There's a masterpiece that God sees for Peter's life. There's a masterpiece that God sees for this young adult generation. There's a masterpiece that God sees with OSL. God sees the big picture of what he wants to do. But if all we have is purpose, I know why I'm on earth, but we don't operate in power. I'm going to bring heaven to earth. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost. Is it all right if we feel the Holy Ghost? I mean, he did make us with emotions, right? Then we can do what Peter and John did. Silver and gold I have not, but what I have, this purpose I've received from God, now I turn it into productivity, into being effective and efficient for the kingdom of God, and now I release power. And what is power? Power is a dynamic force, or it is the ability to complete a task. I like to say it is the gifting of God on one's life. How many of you want to operate in God's dynamic force? The dynamos, right? Acts 1, 8, and you shall receive dynamos, and you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you so that you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. He wants us to be able, I love what, what the scripture says in Philippians 1, 16. He who began a good work is what? Faithful to complete it in Spanish. It says perfeccionar. Translation would be perfect. It unto the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, he's taking us from glory to glory. How many believe God is taking you from one level to the next level, from one dimension to the next dimension, from one realm to one to the next realm? God's got greater things for you. But here's the thing: when we look at this, all of us love the idea of purpose and we love the idea of power, but what we humanly don't love the idea of is process. And friends, you can't sidestep process. You can't skip process. You can't jump over process. We have our Bibles, whether it's in the old-fashioned book form or whether it's in the, the new trendy uh, phone, device, tablet, computer form. And if we're not careful, it's so easy, literally, in a matter of flipping pages or just, you know, some drop-down screens. We literally can jump from Matthew 16 to Acts chapter 3, but we forget that Jesus' ministry took three and a half years of time on earth, and Peter was part of that three and a half years. And so now when we put two and two together, we realize that you don't jump. Matthew 16 to Acts chapter 3 wasn't a day later or a week later or a month later or a year later. Or even two years later, there's reason to believe it could very have, have been three years of process. How many years do you have at OSL? Four years. There you go. So we really want you to get the process. Why? Because if you have purpose, which is great, that's when you come to the Lord. But if you want to operate in power, if we want to operate in power, process. We must undergo the process in order to be overcomers in life and in leadership. Amen. All right. What is this process? What is the process? I like to call it the underscore if process. I know that sounds weird, but there's a reason for it. At least it kind of will stick with you. You, you. you won't ever forget. You will never forget in your life underscore IFT. You're always going to remember that, that if thing. What is that if thing? Yeah. Why? Because all of us have to go through the sift, then the shift, then the lift, then the rift. To get to the gift. We want to jump to the gift. But we don't realize. There's a sifting. And a shifting. And a lifting. And a rifting. For the gifting to come. And you say how do you know that? 
I like to also call it Peter process. Not because my name is Peter, but because the dude's name is Peter. And of course, alliteration, P, P, right? Peter process. And it's based on what five phases that Peter had to go through. So now I'm just going to reference them. I'm, we're not going to read the passage of scripture. But the first phase is called the sift, the sift. What is that about? Luke chapter 22, verse 29 to 34, basically shows us where Jesus tells Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. And he says, and he says, I, make sure I get it right, I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen. It's amazing. Jesus doesn't say, I'm telling Satan no. There are going to be times in our lives in the process where Jesus will allow certain levels of attacks to come our way. We see it in the Old Testament with Job, perhaps the greatest example. But we see it here in Peter's life. Attacks are going to come. It's not an if. Storms are going to come. It's not an if. Trials are going to come. It's not an if. You're going to go through stuff. It's not an if. It's a matter of when. And when they happen, we have to know it's part of God's process. The beautiful thing is Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, p 3 for us. Oh, come on, somebody. They, they, there should have been a better response on that. Come on. You know who the greatest p 3 er is? It's Jesus and the Holy Ghost. Come on, because according to Romans chapter 8, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and for me. And the Holy Ghost, he intercedes with groans that our human words cannot utter. So when we P3, hallelujah, we begin to pray with Jesus, we begin to pray with the Holy Ghost, and we pray the very prayer that the Father wants to hear from us. Can somebody give God some praise and glory? Amen. But, but, but we're going to go through that stuff, sifting. You'll be able to see what the actual definition is. You have to remember it's part of the maturation that we go through. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 11 and 12. Paul talks about it when I was a child. I thought like a child and so forth. We have to become mature in our development and in our walk with Christ and in our relationships with Christ and his people and also in community and in ministry to the body of Christ. There's an example of sifting that you'll be able to read about. What is the key to sifting surrendering our old nature and its old ways to God God sift me take out the junk in my life let that be a prayer of yours this semester God deal with the chaff in me all of us got some chaff you know what's interesting about the chaff for a season the chaff is actually part of the process it's part of what what it exists for a reason and then it gets to the point that if you want the wheat you got to break off the chaff so there are all things that there are things that all of us can say, Lord, just please get rid of it. Get rid of it. Whatever it is, maybe a bad mindset, maybe a bad attitude, maybe a bad choice of words, maybe a bad habit, maybe maybe a bad lifestyle, maybe stuff. And we're not trying to condemn anybody and we're not trying to glorify sin, but we got to deal with it, whatever it is, and say, God, just deal with it. Break it off of me. Second thing, phase two is the shift. In John 21, verse 15 through 17, I already gave reference to it. It's when Peter gets restored in ministry. He had been sifted. Now he has to get shifted. And the shifting, that all has to do with the matter of God's heart in our lives. Sometimes we have the wrong heart. Humanly speaking, we have the wrong motive for things in ministry or in life or in just relationships. And we have to get rid of the wrong motive, the wrong heart set to get the right heart set, to get the setting of God's heart in our lives. When we get God's heart in us, we'll be able to go further in this process. So we got to get things out and we got to get the right thing in. How many want to have the heart of the Father? How many want to have the heart of Jesus Christ, the shepherd? How many want to have the heart of the Holy Spirit? Amen. When you and I have his heart, we will be able to get closer to now operating in his power. Number, what, 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 so, uh, yeah, and, and, and there are more passages of scripture here regarding Luke chapter 22. I've already referenced that. Um, da, 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 da. There's even Acts chapter 8. Remember that guy named Simon, the sorcerer? He gets saved. Then he wants the power to cast out demons and to heal the sick and so forth. And then the apostles have to deal with him. And they say there's wickedness in your heart. Oh, God, how can you be saved and still have wickedness in your heart? It's possible. It's part of the shifting in addition to the sifting. What's the key? Receiving the heart of God for him and his people. 
Number three, the lift. What is the lift? Acts chapter 1, verse 12 through 22. It's after Jesus has said, go, go to Jerusalem. Wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. They went to the upper room. They literally lifted. They literally elevated. They literally went to a higher place. But spiritually speaking, we must seek to go to a higher place. What does that look like? It means being raised up, not only in God's presence, but listen closely, raised up in God's leadership for you. All of you are going to get lifted in God's time, some sooner than later. But do not be mistaken. God, if you stay in the process, God will lift you up. And when he lifts you up, it's not for us. It's for his purposes and his plans. What is the key for that? If you go back to Acts chapter 1, everything they did was based on Jesus' word or a scripture that had been written. So what does that mean? In order for us to get lifted up, the word of the Lord. So we get sifted by getting rid of junk. We get shifted by exchanging our heart for his heart. We get lifted by heeding his word, not the opinions of this world. Then after that, there's the rift. The rift means there is a tearing. Acts chapter 2 talks about it. Isaiah 64 prophesies about it. We see a rifting. What does it mean? Having the heavens torn open over our lives and receiving the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And because we're Pentecostal and assemblies of God, with the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which is praying in the Holy Ghost. Somebody say P3. Come on, somebody. Have you gotten your books yet? Everybody got P3. Good. We need, what's the key? Continuing to seek continue to seek God more in prayer and in fasting. I like to say this in the church, just generally speaking, not just young people in the church. We have more, we have more zing than we have kneeling. We have more uh, feasting than we have fasting. We have more playing than we have praying. We, we need to go deeper, not because it's something that's legalistic, but it's because it demonstrates our real love for the Lord and our loyalty to his call and his calls and his purpose in our lives. I finish with this, the gift. Acts chapter 3, we already read verses 1 through 10. I won't take time to read all the way through 16. It is the gift. What is the gift? It is when Peter now begins to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see here that when he does it, people start looking at him and saying, oh, you've got special power. And Peter is very quick to say, uh-uh. This is not us. This is Jesus. And faith in his name has made this man whole. And the key to the gifting is to recognize we've only received by grace what we have. And we should give gracefully what God has given to us. So that in the end, Jesus Christ is glorified. And the lives of people are impacted with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. No matter where you're at in life. We have to remember it's God's grace that has brought us this far. And it's only God's grace that will take us the rest of the way. It is our faith, our trust, our confidence, our reliance. It's us being persuaded in him, who he is, how he is, that has brought us to this place. And it is only that same faith that will take us moving forward. The key to the gifting is always recognizing that Jesus Christ is to receive all the glory for the supernatural miracles he does through our lives. So I encourage you all. Let's ask God to continue to sift us, shift us, lift us, rift the heavens over us, and gift us so that we can be people that not only have purpose, but we walk in power because we've undergone the process to overcome with power in Christ. Surrender what does not belong in our lives. Replace our hearts with the motives and the heart of God. Study God's word and be led by the Holy Spirit and seek God wholeheartedly through prayer, worship, fasting, and more, and always give King Jesus all of the glory and be a vehicle and a vessel that he can can use to expand his kingdom. Amen. Praise God. Thank you so much for listening to the Learn by Doing podcast. If you're interested in the ministry that Peter and Mildred are doing, visit DeJesusMinistries.com. The link is in our description. We hope this content has been a blessing to you and we hope you join us next time. God bless you guys. <laughs>